Oh, my goodness. Let me just tell you what a process it has been to get right here. And I don't mean for me to be standing up here. But as I look around the room this morning, I see several people. Actually, I see a room full of people that might say that they're in the midst of a process. Would anybody agree with me today? Hey, I'm in process. I'm in process. I would, I would venture to say that there's not one person in this room that has arrived yet except maybe, except maybe Pastor Bill. No, I think he would probably say he's not there yet either. But we are in process. There you go. Yes, right. Let's say that together. We are in process. Let's make it personal. Say, I am in process. Let's do it. Here we go. I am in process. That's good. Now that you all have agreed to that, when I get to the altar call and I say, those of you who are in process and want us to pray, I know that everybody's going to stand. Amen. Now, I don't know what, what it's going to look like when we get to the end of the message today. I barely know what this message is going to look like, except that I know God is speaking in this place. God has been speaking at Word of Life for years and years and years. And the one thing I know about when God speaks, He speaks truth. He doesn't lead us on. He doesn't get us to the place of getting our hopes up just to leave us hanging. He doesn't let us put our feet over the cliff and say, no, you can't have the rope. He doesn't leave us wondering what's going to happen. But I will say we are in process. And oftentimes that process leaves us wondering what's going to happen, even though he's not going to leave us in a what's going to happen state. You see, all my life, and Vanessa is in with the kids right now, she and I would both agree together that it seems like when God speaks to us, he doesn't give us the big picture, but he just gives us the next step. And how many times have maybe we said to one another or someone else, man, if he would have just told me, I'd have got there a lot quicker and a lot easier. Yeah? But you were in... And we cannot forget the process because without the process, the end result wouldn't be near as glorious. Without the process, we may not even get to the end result. Without the process, we wouldn't achieve that which we would achieve. As a matter of fact, today you can already see on the screen, I'm going to talk about the process and what it ultimately leads to, which is our promotion. So we're going to talk about the process to your promotion. We're going to talk about David today. We're going to look a lot at David. We're going to approach David from the moment just prior to him being anointed as king to when he gets to become king, not just of Judah, but of Israel. It's a really interesting story. But before we Start at the beginning. Let's go ahead and jump to the last chapter. How many of you read like that? I'm going to read the last chapter before I read the first chapter of the book. How many of you have been reading the book, got disinterested, and said, I'm going to jump to the end, and it peaks you and gets you back to the end? Okay, we're going to keep you interested this morning by starting with the finale, and then work our way back to the beginning and get back to the finale. And that's found in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And we're going to read just verses 1 through 10 together. Most of it should be on the screen. And there's no way I'm going to look at that back screen and see that. Apparently, I'm getting old because just a few years ago, I could see that. 
And this is what it says as we look at this together. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Lord, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. In verse 4, it goes on to say, David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites and the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him go up to the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, you who, who are hated by David's soul. Therefore, it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from Milo inward. And here it is, verse 10. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. David became greater and greater for one reason, and that is the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, I thank you that this church is advancing and moving forward. Lord, I thank you that we have greater days ahead of us. Lord, I thank you that we're stepping into those greater days, even as I'm speaking up here. And Lord, as we walk and talk through the process to our promotion today, Lord, I pray the words would just not fall out of my mouth and to the ground in front of me, but they would pierce and penetrate the hearts of those that would hear and be changed by them. Lord, I pray these words would be from heaven and not from Jeff. Lord, you would bind them in their hearts and we would be forever changed by them. If there's anything I say that's not of you, Lord, I pray they would not even be heard in this place today. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. amen. So here we have the end result. But like with all things, it seems like, I, I, I have in my notes with most things, but I think we could clearly say with all things, there is a process. So let's look at this together. Five elements. Five elements of the process David went through to become king. And the first one might be one of my favorite, but I'll probably say that about uh, the second one as well. But number one is he was marked. Everybody say marked. I'm looking at a room, just as I said earlier, of people that are in the midst of process. But I would also say that I'm looking through a room of people that are full. This room is full of people that are marked by God. You've been called by him. You have a purpose and a plan. I might see people in this room today that are uh, struggling because they think they're stuck in a dead-end job and all they do is get up at 6 in the morning, go to work, come home at 6 at night, eat dinner, and watch a little bit of TV and go to bed and do it all over, uh, over again so that their house can be nice and their car can go. But they seem like there's no fulfillment or joy in that. I'm talking to the person today that might be wondering what's going to happen uh, tomorrow when it comes to school. They, they know they have to make plans for their future, but they don't know what that plan should be. I might be talking to the senior that has regrets thinking that they've gotten too close to the end of their life and not accomplished that which God had 
in store for them. I would say that every one of you that I've mentioned, and there's many more scenarios that I could bring up in the room today, I'd venture to say that every one of you in this place, regardless of age or status, regardless of position or place, you are marked by God, and He is not done with you. He's not finished with you. He hasn't looked beyond you, past you, forgotten about you. He still has a purpose for you. He definitely has a plan for you, and you are marked by Him. As a matter of fact, you've got a big old bullseye right on your chest, and it says his right in the middle. In 2 Samuel 16 and verse 1, this is going back to the beginning of the story, it says, the Lord said to Samuel, this is the prophet, the one that would start the process of obedience to bring about the change of a corrupt king. I almost said corrupt system. The system's always been corrupt because it wasn't the perfect plan of God. When you go back and look at the judges and, and what God really intended, he never planned for a king for his people. But here we are, we have a king and he is evil. And God says to Samuel, go and anoint a new king. And go to the sons of Jesse, and among one of them will be the next king. And you shall anoint him. And let's look at these words. How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse at Bethlehem. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Key thing, key phrase. I have provided for myself. No mention of a name here. Jesse knew he was going to the, I'm sorry, uh, Samuel knew he was going to the house of Jesse, but he did not have a name. He didn't have a visual. He didn't know which son, but I can guarantee you God wasn't going, I wonder which one it's going to be. He had David marked from the beginning. And David was in process. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. See, David was set up. You are set up. Just by being here today, you have been set up. You have been set up. It's a trick. It's a trap. I hate to say it that way, but you've been tricked into something, and that something is so much better. You are marked. God had his plan before the prophet would know it. God had a plan for you before you were ever prophesied over, laid hands upon, before you ever said yes to him, before you ever were, were uh, uh, I said yes to him, before you were ever filled with the Holy Spirit, before you ever did anything. God had a plan. You have been marked. That's the first step in the process. Maybe the most important part of the process. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. Listen to this. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. And I love this. Which God prepared beforehand. What did he prepare forehand, beforehand for us to do? To walk in them. God's prepared and marked you to walk in something. And it's bigger than you, greater than you, and requires more than you can put into it. And that's where you need God in your life. The thing about being marked is it also oftentimes has some form of a visual aspect to it. I think of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. 
you recall the scripture, in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And in the presence of God, in this moment, the, the prophet says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And what happens in this story? But the messenger of heaven comes down, and he cleanses him by burning his lips with coal. He was marked. This represents repentance. You see, part of being marked starts from God's call, but we have a part to play, and we have to step into a place of repentance. I wanted to do a whole message on these three elements, and maybe they could be a series someday. Maybe I'll save it for young adults, which, by the way, uh, small plug here, young adults, kicks off tonight at my house, 5 o'clock, moving right along, little, little, little plug there. Second person that I think of, there's many, many more than the three that I'm going to talk about. Jacob. Jacob, you remember he came across the angel of the Lord and he wrestled with him. And he said, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And he's struck in the socket of his hip. People would see him limping for the rest of his days. In Genesis chapter 32, I would say that this represents not only the blessing of God, but perseverance. You see, we've got to persevere when we recognize that we're marked. So we've got to repent. We've got to persevere. And then I think of the Jewish people. Their mark was a little more personal, a little more discreet. Circumcision. This represents being separated. It signified that they were called unto someone. And that someone was God. They were marked. Point number one, we, in the process to our promotion, are marked. Point number two, anointed. In verses 11 through 13 of 1 Samuel 16, it says, Samuel said to Jesse after he's gone through the list, all the sons present, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. He's the insignificant one. I love when God works to the insignificant one. So many times we judge, we look at somebody else and say they're better looking, they're more outspoken, they know more, they're more qualified. Use them. Use them. Why would you use me? And Samuel says, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent out and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. You see, there's something about the anointing that every one of us sits in. A, we're marked, but this anointing that David received was something that changed him forever. It was noticeable. It was seen. The actual anointing that happened was a pouring forth from the top of his head all the way down. He was fully covered in the anointing of oil of the prophet in this scenario. There was no way you could deny that he had been anointed. But in this scenario, it says that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward there was a transition there was a change something happened so when we're marked and then we move into the place of anointing on every one of us there is a 
point of reference that we look back to and say, that was when I was anointed. That's when it all changed. That's when I moved into something God had for me. You know, today is Pentecost Sunday. It's a big deal. Some would say it's just the day that the church was birthed. Yes, it is. And that's significant. But even beyond that, this is the day which the Holy Spirit was poured out with fire and with power. And the Holy Spirit came to give an anointing upon the saints of God to have power to be His witness to the ends of the world. Acts 2, 1 through 4 even talks about when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And listen to this phrase, and suddenly... You realize that when David was anointed, there was a rush. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, when the the followers of God, when his people were anointed, there was a rush that came from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they're sitting. I'd venture to say completely in this place with confidence that when you are anointed, those around you experience it as well. Oh, I don't know that you heard what I just said. Or maybe you heard it, but you didn't catch the significance of what I just said. When you are anointed, it impacts for the good those that are around you. When you are anointed, things begin to break in people's lives around you. When you are anointed, people find some kind of a drawing to something that's greater than themselves. When you are anointed, your shadow can heal. When you are anointed, there are demons that tremble. When you are anointed, there is no power in hell that will prevail. When you are anointed... The anointing process often takes a moment of sitting, though. You see, in Acts chapter 1, just backing a little bit back, Jesus is with his disciples before he ascends into heaven, and he's ordering them to not depart from Jerusalem. And he says, but to wait for the promise. Many of you marked the anointing is coming, but he has you in a waiting period. But the thing about waiting is it requires patience. and You can't get ahead of what God is doing. And you, the powerful thing about this is a place of rest. You see... Five years ago, my wife and I moved to Miami, Oklahoma. Pastor, I don't know if you remember this or not, but you gave us the first six months just to be. We just sat and we waited and we rested. And then all of a sudden, we hit, all of a sudden, there's that phrase, we hit the ground running. And it was powerful. And there were some incredible things that were happening. People were a whole church of people that weren't following God are now following God. I don't think we had anybody in our church at the beginning other than Aaron coming over and helping us out when we first launched actual services. I don't think there was anybody in there that came from another church. We had 30 or so people that were just messed up as anyone else. 
But we had to sit and we had to wait. And then the anointing came. And what's really interesting about that is in that came point three, the equipping process. So David, well, just look at this. In verse 18 of chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, it says, One of the young men answered, Now Saul has now been tormented by an evil spirit sent from God because of his rebellion and his lack of, of obedience to God. And it says, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse. So Saul is seeking out, I need help. I need something that will help uh, ease this tormenting spirit. Behold, I've seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skilled in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is still with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. What's happened here is David has already been anointed, and, and if it were me, I think I would have been like, I'm anointed to be king. I should go to king school. Maybe I should go to law school, med school. Maybe I should go to seminary. I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be an evangelist. I'm called to be a missionary. Maybe I should go to seminary. Maybe I should go to school before I do what God's called me to do. Let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with those schools, but there's something wrong with waiting to do what God has called you to do except for waiting on the anointing. And in this case, David was still out in the pasture with the sheep, anointed to be king, anointed to do great things. He was, went back to the place in which he was almost looked over from because he didn't get his identity based on what man thought or what his dad thought. He got his identity based on what his king thought. And he went back to the place of encounter, the place where he was in wonder, in awe of God. And in that place... It wasn't the school, it was the presence of God that equipped him. You see, we've got to really be pressing into the presence of God. And in his presence, he'll equip you. In his presence, he'll speak to you. In his presence, he begins to tell you the next step. In his presence, you could care less. Remember when I opened up about, I wish I just knew what the end result was? In his presence, you don't need to see what the end result is. All you need to do is see him. And his glory. In his presence, he equips. And then David is now in the palace. He's with Saul. And I can't help but think that he learned some things about strategy and warfare and diplomacy. And he learned some things about what it was to be a king by sitting and ushering in the presence of God into the palace. It's his presence. And it seems like all should be fine and dandy and he should be set up to take the throne. But it didn't quite go like that. And I think many of us find this, point number four. We're tried. We go through trials. Saul becomes jealous of David. Do you remember the chance, some of you maybe, that Saul has slain his thousands, but David his... Ten thousands, and Saul becomes jealous of David. As a matter of fact, to the point that he's going to 
take David's life. And in 1 Samuel 21, David, in fear for his life, flees to the point that he's in another land and they begin to recognize what he is and who he is and possibly what his future holds. And in order to save his life, he has to act like a mad, crazy man. You can read that in 21 and verse 15. And then he has to hide in caves in fear for his life. And then he has to flee to his enemies, the Philistines. And even they reject him. That doesn't seem right. I'm in a great place in ministry in the land of Miami, which I can't imagine why I liked it so much when I was there because I like it way so much here. And I tell people this, it was good until it wasn't. I think David would probably say similar, a similar story. It was good until it wasn't. And then he went into a trying period. He went into a trying period. Many of us find that, and, and it's so easy because we're, uh, to quit. I should finish that phrase. It's so easy to want to quit, to give up and say, God has forgotten about me. But David stayed the course. You need to stay the course. I feel like I've stayed the course, and I, I can't imagine being anywhere else but where I am right now. I love the place that God has me. I love the life that God has given Vanessa and me and our kids. I love getting to serve you all and serve this church. I love what I get to do and be part of. I love that we get to be part of the next revival right here in Northwest Arkansas and that we are part of the next revival right here in Northwest Arkansas. But I am fully convinced that we had to go there to get to here. That we had to go through the trials. James says it very clearly in James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Say a full effect. That you may be perfect and complete. And I love this. Lacking nothing. So the process Starts out pretty good, and it starts to get kind of scary, doesn't it? He was marked. He was anointed. You're marked. You're anointed. You have an equipping process. Trials may come, but generally those come just before the promotion, which is my fifth and final point. Just before the promotion. Finally, it's here, and we open with it. Finally, the promotion has come. David is almost there. He is now anointed king of Judah. And I can only think that maybe he's sitting there in his time with God going, I'm almost there, God. This is great, but this isn't what you promised me. I've been through some stuff. I'm smart enough to know this is good, but it's not your best. There's got to be more. There's got to be an opening, an opportunity I've watched many, many circumstances where I could have laid hold of it and made it happen for myself, but I'm trusting you. God, I'm trusting you. Why isn't it happening yet? I've trusted you. When I could have made it happen, I'm trusting you. Why am I still sitting here not fulfilling or seeing the fulfillment of what you've called me to? But it's here. But it's here. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. We read this when we opened. Do you remember this? In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people, Israel, 
and you shall be prince over Israel. Verse 3, So all the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron, and King David made a covenant with, with them there before the Lord, and they anointed king over Israel. And ultimately, in verse 10, it says, And David became greater and greater, for the Lord God was with him. There's a constant that we will see through this whole process. A constant that you will see. You may not see it when you're in it, but you'll see it when you get to the promotion, and this is this. The Lord was with you. The Lord was with you. The Lord was with you. Turn to your neighbor and say, the Lord is with you. Somebody needed to hear that this morning. Somebody needed to hear that the Lord is with you. He's not turned his back on you. Scripture says he'll never leave you, nor will he forsake you. I love that promise. He's with you. He's got your back. He's taking care of you. He's going to get you through the process. But don't jump out of the plan before you get to the promotion. Don't give up too soon. Don't turn away too quick. Don't deny before you get to the promise. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on for dear life. Hang on. And when you can't hang on anymore, what do you got to do? Hang on. And I promise you, it will work out. And it will work out for your good. So there it is. The process. Marked, anointed, equipped, tried, and promoted. Where are you in the process? I think every one of you could say, yeah, I'm there. Or maybe I'm there and then there and then there and then back there and then there and there maybe two steps forward three steps back one step forward two steps back two steps forward how about today we break this the process of the steps back and we just keep advancing i think there's somebody in the room today i wasn't sure where we we're going to go at this point but i i believe that the the ministry moment for right this second is that person that feels like all that seems to happen in their life is three steps backward to the one step forward and we need to break that over your life right now. If you're in that place where you're like, yeah, that's me. I keep stepping more, more steps backward than I get to step forward. I want to pray for you. And I don't want you to be bold. If, if that's you, would you just wave at me? I keep taking steps backwards, and I need to, quit. I need to stop that right now.